began talking last week about changing eternity, how that each and every one of us are called of God to make a difference. And last week we began to look uh, in the Word of God in the book of John, the 12th chapter. So if you would look there together with me this morning, John chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse number 44, it says this, and I'm reading out the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus shouted to the crowds, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Jesus said, look, I've, I've come for a purpose, and that purpose is I've come to bring light. Now, how many of you know it doesn't have to be a whole lot of light sometimes if it darkness is dark enough? Let me ask this question. How many of you have ever used your cell phone as a flashlight? All right, I did this morning. I got here, it was dark, and I was going into a room, and I couldn't see, and I wanted to make sure I had, you know, I didn't break a leg or a stump a toe, you know, and so pulled my cell phone out, and it became a light. Wasn't a great light, wasn't a huge light, but it was enough light. All right? Jesus said, I have come to bring light into the, dark, into the darkness. God created a perfect world that was a world of light, but man messed up. Man lost that perfect world, and so because of that, darkness descended upon uh, this earth, and Jesus said, I've come to do away with that. And, and we began to talk last week about Jesus' reason for coming was to change eternity. And that he has given us the same mandate. He has given us the same responsibility that you and I are called to change eternity. Last week we talked about heaven's perspective of how that Jesus came to this earth and that the night before his betrayal, before he experiences the crucifixion, uh, that he kneels down and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And we talked about last week how that he approached them in servanthood. That, that really Jesus said, in fact, he said it this way. He said, uh, what you've seen today, he said, this is an example of how you should live and so how he has given us each and every one of us have been given heaven's perspective on how to live on this earth but today in this changing eternity I want to talk about earth's response back to heaven what do we do each and every one of us how do we approach this aspect of living this servanthood how do we go about changing eternity I mean that's a pretty big uh, responsibility they tell us right now that there are close to 7 billion people upon this earth. That's a lot of people. How I many of you kind of get boggled when you start thinking 7 billion? I think on, you know, when I go out here on Highway 45, about 1 billion show up. And they drive 28 miles an hour. 7 billion people. And, and so often we get bogged down. You know, people say, well, I love the world, but I don't you know, love people. Well, you can't love the world without loving people. You know, it's like preachers who say, you know, I'd really love pastoring if it wasn't for people. Well, you big dummy, you wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for people. And, and so the, the Lord kind of set this whole process up that you and I are called to change eternity one soul at a time. It's not about billions, it's about one. 
It's about somebody who you're in contact with. It's about somebody who you work with. It's, it's about someone who's in your family that you have a relationship with that you really can make a difference in their life. And so God's called us to change eternity one person at a time, one soul at a time. We say, well, Pastor, if, you know, how, how do I know I'm making a difference? It's kind of like the story. It, it's an old story. Most of you have heard it, I'm sure. It's about the kid uh, who's on the, on the seashore at the ocean, and, and there's all these starfish thousands upon thousands of starfish that have been washed up on shore. And he's picking them up one at a time, and he's just tossing them back out there. And this older guy walks by, and he says, kid, what are you doing? He said, I'm saving the starfish. And the, and the gentleman looks, and he sees thousands upon thousands. He said, there's no way that you can make a difference. The kid reaches down, picks one up, throws it out there. He said, I made a difference to him. See, you can't make a difference to seven billion, but you can make a difference to one. You can change eternity for somebody. That's what God's called you for in this earth. So how do we go about doing that? I want you to take your Bibles, go to the book of Luke, the 12th chapter. And I, and I want to show you out of this passage today three things that I believe is our response back to heaven and what God's called us to do in changing eternity. Luke 12, verse 35, and as you're turning there, let me greet our campuses this morning. I'm glad you are with us. I'm believing today that God is going to minister right there where you are by the power of his word as we preach here today that you're going to receive the engrafted word of God in your life as well. Luke 12, 35 says, be, again, New Living Translation, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. What, what an interesting scripture. What, a, what an interesting parable there that Jesus is giving to us about how that you and I are to respond back to heaven. How do we respond? How do I go about changing eternity? The first part is found there in verse 35. The first thing that you've got to do is that you've got to work for the master. All right? Number one thing you're called to do is to work for the master. Verse 35 says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. That, that word says, be dressed for service. The apostle Paul said, when you've done all to stand, stand therefore. And then he says, uh, you know, gird your loins with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of gospel of peace. Uh, you know, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, helmet of salvation. He gives you this whole thing that you are to be dressed in for service in the kingdom of God. You know, I've, I've found a lot of Christians don't know this. I found out that a lot of Christians think that their call in life is to sit and to soak. Well, I just hope pastor's got a word for me today. You know, it's really been rough this week. The devil's been on my back all week long, praise his holy name. You know, it's really been tough. I, I just hope, I just hope pastor's got a word from God because I just need to. Now, listen, that's okay every once in a while, but you can't live there. You can't just constantly always be living in that place where you're just sitting and soaking. Why? Because God's called you to work for him. 
He's called you to be involved in the process of the kingdom. And you know what? Our work does not come out of uh, some kind of legalism. My work for God is out of my love for what he has done for me. The Bible says it this way. God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. Listen, when you get saved, when Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior, you can't help but work for him if you're really sold out to him. It's, it's just part and parcel of what you're called to do. And, and that scripture there says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Now, I doubt if anybody this morning had to get up and light the lamps. I mean, I just, I just kind of doubt that. I doubt if you, you know, you went over and found the kerosene and poured it in, put the wick in. But you, 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 I mean, how many of you have ever done that? Anybody ever done that? I've done that. I, I know what it's like. You know, I, again, remember where I grew up. We didn't have electricity. So I know the whole process. And I know that if you don't keep things just right, um, you know, a, a lamp will start smoking. You know, you smoke up the whole house, right? I know a whole lot of Christians that are smoking. No, come on. I'm not going there. I'm messing some of your worlds. But, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not really putting off the light the way God's called them to. Uh, they're, they're just creating a lot of smoke. There's a lot of, so the Lord said, keep your lamps burning. Do, do you know, remember in Scripture where Jesus talked about uh, a light? He said, when you light a light, you don't hide it. He said, you don't put it under a bushel. Right? Why? Because a light is to be seen. I know a lot of Christians that nobody knows it. No, you didn't hear me. The, the Bible refers to secret disciples of Jesus. I know a lot of those people. It's so secret, nobody knows it. I mean, they're, they're you know, they're, I don't even think they carry a badge. I mean, you know, if you're undercover, you at least carry a badge. I mean, it's like, I don't want anybody to know. I'm a Christian. The Word of God says that if you light a light, you hold it up. You don't hide it. It says that a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. In other words, when Jesus Christ saves us, he saves us for a purpose, and that purpose is to work for the kingdom. Let, let me just, just give this to you this morning. Part of this sermon you're not going to like because I'm going to get in your business. Because one of the things that's happened in Christianity in America is that we have so blurred the lines of Christianity and what the world looks like, we can't tell one from the other. Well, hallelujah. I mean, how do you know if somebody's a Christian anymore? They go to church. Well, the devil goes to church. I guarantee you the devil's more faithful than a lot of members. Well, they, they have a fish on their bumper. Not going there. You know, all the, listen, they wear Christian T-shirts. That doesn't, does not make you a believer. It does not make you a Christian. Well, they shook the pastor's hand. They signed the card. They went to the front. None of that saves you. And even after you get saved, the indication here is, is that you need to be continually dressed for service. I wonder how many Christians are streaking. No, I don't mean naturally. You'll stay with me one way or the other. Just see what I'm going to say next, won't you? You say, did he say that? Yeah, I said that. 
I mean, they're, they're not clothed. They're not, they're not prepared for what God's called them to. They're not ready. See, you, you, you've got to come to that place where that you are prepared. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Why? Because I'm working for the master. I'm working for him. And my work is not because I have to. My work is out of love, and it's all about the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So number one is I've got to work for the master. The second thing in our response to walking with God is that we need to be waiting for the master. If I'm going to change eternity, it's not enough just to work for him. I've also got to be waiting on him. Verse 36 says it this way, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast, then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. How many of you remember when you first got saved? Come on, do you really remember when you first got saved? Who was it? Years ago, Andre Crouch wrote a song, Take Me Back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first met you, where you saved me, where my life was made different. I, I wish... I wish that a lot of us today could be taken back to the place that we first got saved. You remember how excited you used to be about Jesus? Come on. You remember the anticipation that you had uh, for the things of God? You, you could not wait to your next encounter with the presence of God. And yet if we're not careful, even about going to church, it's like, well, it's Sunday. I guess I better go. Somebody will be calling me if I don't show up. Really? I mean, I think this anticipation that we need to live with and, and this waiting for him is kind of an anxious anticipation. Those of you who are animal lovers, and I'm not in that class, I just want to tell you. I'm just not there. I mean, I love them from afar, but... Anyway, those of you who are dog people, I mean, that dog, you, you can be the, the worst human being on the planet, but that dog doesn't know. As long as you treat that dog halfway different, that dog is just, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, you, you come in the door and that dog's jumping and yapping and just so excited that you showed up. If you don't hurry up and get it outside, it'll pee all over everything. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's just so happy you showed up. I'm not calling you a dog, but could it be that we ought to gain the same anticipation for our master? That back to that place how we used to be excited about the things of God, how, how we used to be excited about his return. And, and Lord, I, I just want to encounter your presence again. I want to be in that place because here's, here's what I know is that, Lord, when I come into your house and I encounter your presence, I know what that does is that that builds me up, that encourages me, that strengthens me, God, so that I can go back out and I can be a light so I can work for you. 
So it's not, again, about coming in and just taking in, taking in. It's about coming in. And, Lord, I'm anticipating today that somewhere in the worship time, somewhere in the prayer time, somewhere in the sermon, Lord, some point I'm anticipating that you're going to show up. Do you still have that? I mean, when, when you come to church, the Bible says we're two or three gathered together in his name. There he is in our midst. And, and we love to quote that on days when nobody shows up at church. We look out and there's a few people who go, oh, the Bible says. And, and that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about when you come together, there he is. I mean, did you really, when you got out of your car today and walked into the building, did you really think, boy, Jesus is going to be there? Or were you more excited about the free coffee? Oh, hallelujah. I mean, do we even cognitively think that? I mean, what would happen? People say, you know, I don't know why so-and-so's meetings, there's always people getting healed and this is happening and that's happening. Let me explain it to you. Can I explain it to you? Here's my explanation. The reason is, is because when you go to a certain thing and they've announced a healing crusade, you go anticipating healing. What I I was, my my mom was talking to me, and of course, you remember my parents were pioneer missionaries in Africa, and and we were talking about people being healed and and just stuff happening. She said, she said, well, here's the deal. She said, when we preached that, she said, they just believed it. They just anticipated. They just thought it was going to happen. Boy, for that kind of faith again, our Western intellect, our scientific mentalities have kept us from anticipating what God's going to do. So the Scripture says that we need to work for the Master, but then it says we need to wait. When we come into His house, we need to be saying, God, I just, I just know today Your Word says You're there, and I'm just looking for You. I'm just, I'm just looking. Where, where is He? Because I want to get right over there. I mean, what? If, it, now don't do this, but, but what would happen if, if, if God started showing up over here and a bunch of you over here said, I'm going over there. He's showing up back in the risers. I'm going to go sit in the risers. I mean, just wherever He's at. Well, Pastor, that would be a little foolish because God is everywhere. Yeah, God is everywhere, but sometimes he's more somewhere than he is other places. I mean, remember Jesus in the crowd and one woman reaches out and touches him and he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, come on. Everybody's touching. He said, no, 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 there's a difference. There's a touch and then there's a touch. What would happen if we just show up in the house saying, I, I, I'm looking for a touch? I want to touch the hem of it. She said, yeah, I know if I get to him. Come on, if somebody would just this morning say, you know what, I don't care about anything else. I don't care about what everybody thinks about me. I am anticipating the power and the presence of God, and I come today just believing that he is going to be there and he's going to touch my life. <laughs> Waiting for the master. The third thing it tells us to do is to watch for the master. Verse 37 says it this way, the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Now, that, there's a word in there that I want you to get. He says, the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. 
Do you like to be rewarded? Well, a few of you. The rest of you are weird. I don't care anything. That, that's why people just drive me crazy about giving even. Pastor, you shouldn't tell people to give so they will get. Well, I didn't. God did. It's his, it's his prescription, not mine. Right? People say, I don't care anything about getting anything back. Really? You don't care about reward? No, no, no. No rewards from me. Friday, go tell the boss, don't want the check. No reward for me. Hmm. <laughs> like to be rewarded all of a sudden, don't you? Third thing we've got to do is we've got to be watching. We, we, we've, we've got to keep our mind and our eyes fixed upon Him. What are we watching for? We're watching for His return. Now we're waiting in anticipation. We come together and His presence shows up, and, but we're watching for His return, that Scripture said. You say, well, Pastor, how do we know when the Lord's going to return? Well, let me give you some Bible. That'd be all right. Matthew, the 24th chapter, verse 3. Later, Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen. When, is, when are you going to come back? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Verse 4, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Verse 8. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. And I won't read the rest of it, but he goes on in there and gives us more. talks about pestilence and all these things that are going to be happening. And so Jesus said, look, you need to keep an eye. You, you need to be concerned about what's happening. Isn't, isn't it interesting that more of us watch Oprah than watch what Jesus is doing? I don't know what some of you are going to do at the end of this year. I mean, when Oprah quits, what are you going to do? I mean, she's been your source of strength and help in a present time of trouble. I mean, and she's going. I guess you'll just have to watch reruns or Dr. Phil. I mean, you know, we get our eyes on so many things and so many people. And yet the Word of God says we're to be watching for the return of the Lord. You say, Pastor, what has that got to do with changing eternity? It has everything to do with it. When you live with a sense of the Lord's return at any moment, it makes you a person who lives a little bit more aggressively. If you thought that you only had 30 days to live, you would live differently than you're living right now. Come on, you know you would. You, you, you would not spend as much time at the office as you've been spending. I wouldn't. I can tell you. In fact, I might not show up every Sunday. <laughs> I might just say, I'm out of here. Somebody else, Pastor Chris is going to preach. I'm gone. 
Well, if I had 30, if I knew I had 30 days to live, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to live my life a little bit differently than I'm living it right now. And yet the Word of God says that we are to live watching for His return. Have, have you watched the news in the last year and a half or so? The Bible says there's going to be earthquakes. Really? Seen all the earthquakes? I mean, Chile had an earthquake. Haiti had an earthquake that almost destroyed the whole country. Tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people out display. I mean, it's unbelievable what's been happening. Earthquakes all over the end of time. You say, well, Pastor, earthquakes have been happening. Go study it. Go study the onslaught of how many more earthquakes have been happening in the last hundred years than happened in the last hundreds of years. Famine. Don't need to go there. Pestilence. That means disease. Do you realize the diseases that are running loose in our world? And, and we thought that antibiotics were going to take care of everything, and now we're finding out that we've ramped the antibiotics up so high that they're not even working anymore, and so we're having to get stronger antibiotics, we're having to get this, we're having to figure out that. Why? Because the Scripture tells us that there's coming a day. And, and I am not, please understand, I am not a person who spends a lot of time on the end of times. I, I, I don't spend a lot of time talking about that, but I want to tell you, there is going to be a generation that ushers in the return of the Lord. And it could be this generation. I mean, have you been watching the Middle East? Do, do you realize that, that if, if the whole process in the Middle East just changes just one or two more countries, that the only country over there that's going to have anything good to say about America is Israel? And the rest of them are going to want to destroy Israel and America. Come on, do, do you not read? Come on, don't, don't live in ignorance. Do you not understand that the Word of God lets us know that Israel is a signpost to the end of times? Well, the Word of God is quite clear. I mean, I don't know if you figured this out yet or not, but the economy of the world is teetering. Spain's being propped up. France is about to be shaken. Italy's in a mess. The whole European Union is in a mess. Do we talk about America? How many trillions of dollars can we print? Gets quiet. Pastor, I don't want to hear this kind of stuff because we don't want to watch for his return. We'd rather live in bliss. We'd rather hear another bless me sermon instead of coming to the place of saying, wait a minute, it could be that this is the generation who ushers in the return of the Lord. Because here's what Scripture says. The Scripture says it's going to become such an economic upheaval. All it takes is a couple of those European Union countries to fall. And for China to decide they want to take all of the IOUs that we've been giving them. And all of a sudden, America, the superpower that we have known, becomes a third world country. Boy, I'm messing with your pride in America today. But I want to tell you, the Word of God says that that's going to happen, that there is going to be an economic collapse. And in the midst of that economic collapse, there is going to be what the Scripture refers to as a man of sin. And he is going to arise, and he is going to come to the forefront, and he is going to bring peace to the nations. 
and everybody's going to be, man, this is our Savior. This is salvation for us. And for a little while, he's going to look as the one who has, has brought everything back together. Do you realize that, that the whole aspect just within three years ago that it was proposed a one-world currency? Do you know that Russian premier showed up with a one-world currency? This is not some hocus-pocus. This has happened because the dollar was getting so weak. They said the dollar can't keep the nations propped up. Let's come up with a currency that is a one-world currency. The Scripture tells us all this stuff. And it says when this man of sin arises, he's going to take us to a one-world government, a one-world money system, and everybody's going to say, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Until. Until he determines that he's got enough power. And the Scripture says that he is going to make you take a mark. And if you want to buy or sell, and I don't know what that mark is going to look like, have no clue, but there's going to be a mark that is having to be taken. And when you take it, the Scripture says a couple of things there. First of all, if you take the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, that you have sealed your soul for eternity, and there is no salvation for you if you take the mark of the beast. But it says if you don't take the mark of the beast, that that beast, that one world system is going to kill you. You say, Pastor, why would you preach like this? You don't preach like that, I know. But you know what? We live in a world that we need to wake up. I don't know when the Lord's coming back. It could be tomorrow, it could be tonight, it could be a thousand years. I don't know. But what I do know is that we've got to live watching for His return. I've got to live as though this moment is all I've got. I want to talk to some of you as I close. There are some of you who are so consumed with your jobs. You are so consumed with getting ahead. You have made a priority out of everything in your life but God. Oh, I know you've come to church. I understand that, and I'm not mad at you, but I'm trying to get your attention. Because if you're going to change eternity, you've got to start watching for the master. You've got to realize that you live in a time where this could happen. Forty years ago when this was preached, it couldn't happen. Because there wasn't the technology. But we live in a world now where the technology can bring all of this to pass. I mean, if they can implant your dog with a chip... And find Fido and tell it where, who owns it and where it's at a million miles away. You think they can't have the technology to put a mark whether you can buy or sell. Pastor, why are you telling us this? Because we're called to change eternity. We've got to make a difference. You and I are called of God to make a difference. And we can't just continue to sit complacently. Look, I've lived long enough to see several antichrists die. I've been told this one. I remember Anwar Sadat. He's the antichrist and they killed him. Well, he can't be the one, so we... I've seen plenty of people come and go. I'll give you my philosophy about the Antichrist. 
I think every generation has an antichrist. Go read John there in the latter part of the New Testament. John says the spirit of antichrist is already here. He said, why are you saying that? Because the devil does not know the end of times, but he's always got somebody ready when it is the end of times. So I think every generation has an antichrist. And I think the only thing that stops that antichrist from rising to power is the church in prayer. And the church calling out to God and being the light and the salt that we're called to be, changing eternity. So if we don't like what's happening in the world, then it's up to us. It's not up to Washington. It's not up to the United Nations. It is up to the church to change eternity. And it's up to us individually. Because every time somebody we know gets saved, that's one more in the kingdom. One more life being changed. One more home being put back together. One more family being reunited around the things of God. God's called us to change eternity.